0: Are you aware that God is able to take uh, your life He's able to take your brokenness, he's able to take uh, your your missteps, he's able to take your pains and that he is able then to use you for his glory? Uh, when we're introduced to Moses he is 43 430 years removed, 430 years removed from Joseph. And when we find Moses in Exodus 1, this is not the guy that maybe you're most familiar with as Moses. This is not the the Charlton Heston who has parted the Red Sea yet. This is not quite the Moses who has been able to walk in the wilderness and been faithful to the Lord and and to establish a, a traveling worship place like the tabernacle. This is not the Moses who has been able to climb up Mount Sinai and, and been the great deliverer of the Israelite people and then stand and have a relationship with God as one man has a relationship with another and receive the Ten Commandments and, and bring a, a moral authentication to the Israelites. This Moses hasn't started yet. This Moses is brand new to the world. This Moses is just born in Exodus chapter 1, and he's a baby. And he's born in a terrible time of genocide. A nation that has started with Abraham and has moved on to the son Isaac and moved on to his son Jacob has grown exponentially. And now this nation, which started with one man, Abraham, has moved on to become a population of about 2 million, maybe even 3 million people when we find Moses' birth. It's turned into this great nation, just like God had promised all along. The nation of Israel was becoming as numerous as sand on the seashore. Friends, just a reminder, God keeps his promises. And now we're, we're finding that the nation of Israel is becoming too populous. And it worries uh, the superpower of the time, a, a nation of Egypt and, and the Pharaoh who is king. He is he's disturbed by the great numbers of Israelites that he sees. And so here's where we find ourselves. Exodus one. Look at verse eight and following with me. Then a new king who Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Now remember, Joseph was this great prime minister of Egypt, but now this new king, 430 years later, says, I don't know who Joseph was, I don't care who Joseph was, and I certainly don't care about the God of Joseph. Verse 9, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them and and we'll become even more numerous, and and, and and then war will break out. They'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave this country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and to force labor. So the king is totally terrified of this growing population, says, we're just going to turn them into slaves. We still have an authority. We still have military might over them. So now's the time to strike. But the, the plan got more sinister and dark. Not only did Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decide to turn millions of people into slaves, he decided to annihilate them. Look at Exodus chapter 1, look at verse 22. It says, then Pharaoh gave the order to all of his people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. That's the plan to stomp out the very existence of god's people kill every male baby that's to be born friends this is the first of many holocausts that god's people will see as history continues so the israelites are hiding their babies Shh, quiet don't don't cry they they're soldiers at the door and this is when Moses is born. Moses is born under this cloak of every child must die. You, you better throw the baby into the Nile and... And let him drown and die. And Moses' mother can't bring herself to do such a wretched action. And so Moses is born. And I can only think about the ways in which he had to muffle his cries. And to make those cries into whimpers. And to hush him down. And the Bible says for three months he stayed under their household. Until she could no longer keep it silent anymore. So she comes up with this strategic plan. And I know when you read the Bible it doesn't seem like a strategic plan. But it is. She figures either he'll die in the Nile or I can have a plan of desperation. So she finds a basket and she makes it as watertight as possible. She places it amongst the reeds uh, next to the shore. He's not floating down the Nile in a raging river. He's next to the shoreline in in the reeds. And she is strategic because she places her child in a position where she knows that that the king of Egypt's daughter goes to and bathes on a daily basis. And surely the princess of Egypt will hear the cries of Moses and take notice of the boy and maybe even have some compassion upon him. Pharaoh's daughter, she finds him as she heads down to the river's edge and she begins to bathe for the day and she hears the cries of this 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 baby, and she reaches down in the basket and she pulls him up and she gives him the name Moses, which means drawn out of water. And I'm sure she ran home like she found a, a puppy or a, a, a hurt bird and she said, Daddy, Daddy, can we keep him? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure Pharaoh probably looked at, at the little baby and said, Well, I, I guess so. I mean, what's one little Hebrew baby? What kind of problems is he going to cause? And so Moses is taken in by this king's family. He's still a baby, and he needs to be nursed and weaned. And who do they find of all the people, of all the millions of mothers that maybe are surrounded in that community, but Jochebed, Moses' own biological mother, to wean him. And in a great intersection of the way God works, he finds his own biological mother, and she gets paid to raise her own son. Now, that's quite a deal, isn't it, moms? (laughs) Moses grows up as one of the king's own grandsons. Moses is raised in royalty. He tends the best schools. He has the best care. And he has the title of prince of Egypt. The New Testament says about Moses these words. He was educated in all of wisdom of the Egyptians. And it was powerful in speech and in action. This guy had the best of the best. And Moses grows up in this Egyptian palace. And, and he is... Unaware, maybe, of what his family is, is doing. They're slaves. His own flesh and blood has been forced to a life of, of, of enslavery. And, and more than likely, it's, it's so plausible that the, the pyramids that you see and the palatial structures of ancient Egypt, they were built by the hands of those millions that were enslaved by the Egyptians that we're reading about in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. But it becomes clear to Moses that there is an injustice being done. And in his view of this injustice, it's more than he can bear. And so every day he sees the mistreatment of his own flesh and blood. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and he watched them at their hard labor. So he's kind of taken in the. Whole idea of them chipping away stone and, and hauling hay to the site and mixing it with mud and beginning to build these structures. And he's taking notice of how diligent and how hardworking they are. And it says he saw the Egyptians beating them. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and looking that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. And here's what his thinking was. His thinking was, maybe, maybe my blood brothers, the Israelites, they'll accept me as maybe even a deliverer here. At least they'll recognize that I'm on their side for this action. But his blood brothers didn't see it that way at all. The next day, a fight breaks out between two Israelites on the job site and Moses walks in and he becomes the one that separates them. And he says, hey, fellas, you really need to shake hands here and hug and make up. And one of them who started the fight says, who put you in charge of us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses found out that his sin was noticed, he ran away in disgrace and all the Bible really tells us is that he fled to a desert area, a deserted area called Midian. Friends, doesn't that sound familiar? When we're disgraced or when our pride gets crumpled or, or when our sins are found out and our past comes to haunt us, we run and try to get as far away as, as possible. And we'll even go to places that we know aren't even sustainable like a desert. His past was catching up to him and when he runs into the desert of Midian, he just becomes a shepherd. There's nothing for him there. And he... Begins to raise a family, he gets married, he's trying to forget his past. He's 40 years old at this time. He once had everything, but in a moment of murder, it changed his entire life. He can't find a job, so he works as a shepherd for his his father-in-law. I'm sure his pride by this time is completely crushed. He he used to be in the palace, but now he's just a pauper. And 40 li- years living in a life of luxury, and now he has absolutely nothing And so he goes about life the best way he can. Are you aware that God is able to take your heartache? He's able to take your pain. He's able to take your missed opportunities and he's able to use all that for his glory. Are you aware of that? Because Moses wasn't. Moses was content in life, running from his past. He had great success, and he thought that success was only a 40-year success. He didn't think there were still 80 more years ahead of him in life. And so he just decided to lay low. He let that act of murder dictate his life. And then the Bible picks up in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is 80 years old at the time. Most of us in life at that age must, have been, must be thinking, you know what? There's not much more left for me. I'm old in years. My family's being raised. I once had something, but now have nothing. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible tells us that he saw a bush as he was in the desert, and it was consumed with fire, but it wasn't being burnt up. It was on fire, but not being destroyed. Exodus 3, verse 3 says, So Moses thought, I'll go over and I'll see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to take a look, he called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, uh, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Stay in chapter 3, go back down to verse 9. In verse 9 it says, And and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Go! I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. You're what Moses is saying? God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. God, don't you remember I've got a checkered past here? I go back to Egypt and everyone's going to remember what I've done. That sin was legendary. And God says, Moses, I'll be with you. Have you ever thought, who am I? God can't use me. I've done some things in my past that don't give me credibility any longer. And this is Moses. Moses says, who am I to stand up before the most powerful man in all the world? I'm working for my father-in-law. I'm 80 years old. Life is about over for me. My better days are behind me. And maybe you could say the same thing. You could say, you know, God, I can never do that. I can never ask my neighbor if she has a prayer request. There's no way, God, that I could ever be a leader at my high school. I've blown that a long time ago. I could never host a small group in my home. I don't feel adequate enough. There's no way, God, that I could ever talk about my faith to my coworkers. You see, for years I've told the worst jokes at break time, and they'll just think I'm a hypocrite. God, there's no way I can bring moral authority to my home. You see, I've blown that a long time ago. You know, the honest answer is, there is no way you can do it by yourself. And that's what God understood with Moses' excuse. Moses, you can't go at this alone. You're going to need me. I will be with you. And here's the lesson. When you say, I can never do that, God says, I will be with you. In verse 12, God clearly assures Moses that he won't be going at it alone. God's promise is true. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to leave you. There is no sin too heinous that is going to drive me away from you. Moses, I know you don't think you can. And you'll never be able to do it, but I'm going to be with you. Friends, when you feel entrapped by your past and framed in by what you've done long time ago, remember this God is with you. He's able to change things, He's able to accomplish within you things you never thought were accomplishable. Moses' first excuse is a pretty good excuse God, I've got a past here. Don't you remember? But Moses is discovering that God uses those whom seem ill fitted for a significant life. God's going to give Moses something significant later on in his life. So Moses says to God in verse 13 of chapter 3. He says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And, And then they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God, your father, of the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. So Moses tells God, Look, God, I don't have all the answers here. And what if they start to question me? I don't think I'll have the right answers. And God says, Moses hang on a minute, I'm going to provide the answers. His fear is that in such a pagan culture like Egypt, people will totally have forgotten about God at this time. He's saying, what if, I get, what if I get some questions about who you are and about who I am? I won't be able to answer those things, and I don't want my ignorance to become your folly, God. But here's what God is getting at. He wants Moses to go forward so that the people will understand that God doesn't have favorites. That God uses people even with checkered paths. That God's able to use even the most unlikely heroes to be deliverers of his people. And maybe God has that in store for you. Or have you discounted yourself by saying, I have all the inadequacies and there is nothing that puts me into a position where God can use me. Are you in the desert? Because Moses thought to himself, I don't have the answers. And my ignorance might hurt your credibility, Lord. Does that ever sound familiar when it comes to sharing your faith with others? Someone might say, what is it that you believe about the end times? What is it that you believe about the Trinity? What is it that you believe about Calvinism and predestination? You know those questions very rarely, if ever, come up. What if someone asked me to name all the books of the Bible? What if, what if? And we keep on putting up these petitions. God, I can't go out and proclaim the good news. I can't be a witness to the faith that's in my life to others because I don't have all the answers. I, I think that maybe no, not knowing all the answers should put us into the position where we want to know answers. You know, I hear people say, I would love to teach a Bible fellowship class at the church, or I'd love to be a a leader in a small group. But they say, I just don't know enough. I feel feel pretty ignorant about the Bible. You know what my advice is? You get in a class today. You start in a small group today so that you don't have the same excuse three years from now. And you start learning, and you start growing, and you start getting into God's word. You know, most non-Christians are not turned off by the things that you don't know. Most non-Christians are turned off by the hypocrisy of Christians. They just want people that are genuine in walking the talk and living for Jesus Christ. And I think it's at this point in the story where we find that Moses isn't interested really in having the right answers. Moses is really interested in weaseling his way out of being the great deliverer that God is calling him to be. So when you say When you say, I don't have the answers, God says, I'll provide the answers. And so the Lord goes to Moses and comes up with another excuse. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4 and into the first verse. Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and it ran from him. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So M- Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of, the father, of their fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. What's Moses' excuse here? Moses' excuse is, I can't change anything, God. What am I supposed to do? And God says, Moses, I can. You can't, but I can. The Lord doesn't stop there. He gives Moses two more miracles that he can do to prove that God is with him. He can stick his hand in his cloak, pull it out. It will become leperous. He can stick it back in and it will be miraculously healed. He can get some water from the river Nile and he could take it and he can pour it onto the shore. And it will turn to blood as a trump card to say, God is with me. And so what God is saying is, Moses, your argument, your excuses are not holding up here. You know, there are lots of times we just don't get involved in the church and we don't get involved in some worthy cause because we believe that, what can I change? I mean, I'm just little old me. What can I contribute to this? I can't change a thing. And God says, you're right. You can't, but I can. But since we don't remember that God can, we just think we'll be spectators rather than participants here. You know, two ministries in our church were started by Ellie Mead, a single mother who works and takes care of her home and is raising a teenage daughter and a first-grade daughter, and she could have felt easily justified in saying no to what God had laid on her heart a year ago. But she said yes. And because of that, other women like her are being ministered to every single week of the year. And she's even led our church to go into the community and serve by being mentors for women who are in troubled situations. She teaches two Bible studies a week. And she's able to mentor a handful of ladies all because she said yes when she could have justifiably said no to what God laid on her heart. But see, what, what God won't stand for is Moses' excuse And he points out, Moses, you're right in saying you can't. But you've forgotten that I can, that I am with you. I make the difference here. And God is persistent and he is knocking. He's not going to let Moses off the hook. Friends, God is not going to let you off the hook so easy either. Can I tell you something? I don't want to go to heaven. And I don't want God to say to me, you know, Matt, I had some big things planned for you, but you said, you said no. And I say, well, when did you ask me to do the big things? And God, I think, will tenderly say to me, well, you were really technically two yeses away from the big thing that I was going to ask you about. But when you said no to that stranded motorist, and when you said no to helping that family who needed food because they were in crisis, I realized that you weren't up for the task of saying yes to the big thing. We always think that, that God's going to initially hand us some big thing to do in life. But doesn't, doesn't our credibility start by being faithful in the little things and then being trusted with the bigger things? When you say, I can't change anything, I want you to remember God says, I can. I can change things. Saying yes was going to involve public speaking for Moses, and that was something that he just didn't feel was his giftedness, even though he'd been trained in it and was a powerful public speaker. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 and 12, it says that Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I... I have never been eloquent. Now, some people debate, some people debate if this is a flat-out, bold-faced lie because of Acts chapter 7.22, but some people think maybe that over time he's lost his confidence in himself, and when you lose your confidence in yourself, you don't have the same confidence when you stand before an audience of people. I'm neither eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue, and the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? (laughs) don't try to come to an excuse about how you were created to the one who created you who makes him deaf or mute who gives sight or makes him blind is it not i the lord now go i'll help you speak and i'll teach you what to say moses says god look i'm just not wired the way that you want me to to do things and god says are you kidding me i wired you I know you intimately. I know the number of hairs on your head. Moses, I know what you can and can't do. So stop with your petty excuses about how you can't. Don't you think God ever gets tired of our excuses? I mean, especially excuses like, God, there's no way I can do that. And God's saying, I wired you. I know what you can do and can't do. I would never call you to do something that was an impossible task for you. Some of you serve so diligently at the church in some of the strangest of ways and such menial tasks that others on an earthly scale would put into perspective. I mean, you're shoveling uh, some snow off, off of the walk or you're, you're scattering some ice melt off the walk or you're, you're fixing communion and no one takes notice or, or maybe some coffee that's being made or, or maybe you're just... You're holding the door open for someone. You're saying, really, what difference is this going to make? This is a small thing. But you said yes to God, and you see it from a heavenly perspective. You see that God wants you to take care of this, as menial as it might be. Faithful in the little things. You'll be faithful in the big things. And Moses says, God, I'm not wired that way. You know, uh, the psalmist had found out And reveal to us that God is the one that does the wiring of our lives. And the psalmist says this poetically in Psalm 139. He says, For you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Friends, you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. God has knitted you together. He has wired you up. He knows your limitations. He knows what you can and can't do better than you know yourself. So you be you be weary the next time you give the excuse, "God, I can't. I'm not wired that way." And God says, "Are you kidding me? I wired you." Let's look at Exodus uh Chapter four, verse 13 and 15, because finally Moses is out of excuses. And so he just honestly says, but Lord, do I have to because I don't want to. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter four. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about what about your brother? Aaron the Levite I know I know he can speak well. he's already on his way to meet you. oh so convenient, right And he'll be glad to see you verse 15 chapter 4 you shall speak to him and and put words in his mouth and I will speak I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. Moses thinking is God look find somebody else. I'm not going to do it. And you know what God says in return? Moses, this isn't about you. This is about the millions of people that are enslaved and entrapped by an impressive king of Egypt that I want to be released. This is about this is about me and my story to all these people that are going to come beyond you, that will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I want them to know that I am a redemptive, redeeming, liberating, freedom-loving God. Moses, enough of your excuses. Quit thinking of yourself and start thinking of the bigger picture here. Can you understand why God's anger burned against him? Because Moses kept on putting the pressure on himself like, like we so oftentimes do putting the pressure on herself, like it all hinges on what we say or do or, or how we think. And, and God says, no, this is so much bigger than you, but I want you to be an instrument in this, in this moment. And I love how the Bible's so real here because I love how this hero of the faith just, just doesn't candy coat it. He says, I don't want to do this. I felt like that. Haven't you? God, you picked a bad time. To call me to do this thing here. You see, I'm I'm studying for some tests and I got graduation right around the corner. This is a bad time for me. God, why are you asking me to fill up and, put, and putting this on my life to fill up some baby bottles with some spare change? I can barely make ends meet. Why are you asking me, God, to stand up to my boss about some of these unethical things he's asking me to do? I mean, I'm the one that's barely been here for just a few months and can't you find somebody else who's been on staff longer than me? I mean, when we say, God, I'm the wrong person, can you imagine how that sounds to the one who knows you intimately? God knows you. And when He calls you to do something, He says, You're the right person. You're exactly who I want. And so instead of no, start saying yes. And you're saying, why? Because of Moses' story. God will be with you. God will provide the answers for you. God will be the difference in your life. God will be beside you. Today, maybe you find yourself in the process of being transformed from the person that you always see as inadequate To the person that Christ is turning you into. Someone who is significant to the creator of this world. You know, Moses' life completely changed when he decided to surrender. When he finally stopped his excuses and when he finally just said, God, you're right. There's nothing holding me back from being the great deliverer of these people, not my past. Not my sin, not my inadequacies, not my age, not my broken pride. God, you're right. You make all things possible. God, you're correct. Because despite my past and despite my contentment with my life in the desert and... Despite my fear of the future and of failing and revisiting all the old friends that know what I had done, despite all the excuses that I could conjure up, God, I trust in you. So Moses says, God, I'm inadequate, but you are able. For just a moment, would you just bow your heads and if you'd like to, close your eyes or you can stare at your feet. But in a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. and Here's what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to identify one area in your life that you really feel Like you come up short in. An area where God's going to have to make the difference. There's no one else can do it but God. And then I'm going to ask you while we sing uh, these next few verses. That you turn over that inadequacy to the Lord. And say, okay Lord, I've been held hostage to this. I've been enslaved by that. I've lived in the desert too long. Would you please make up the difference in my life? So during this time, I want you to make it personal. And if at any time during the next few verses of this song you feel like saying yes to God and giving your life over to His Son Jesus Christ and calling Him Lord and Savior of your life, then come and meet with me by the baptistry just to the left of the stage.